1913, <clears throat> the federal government held a 50th anniversary reunion of the great battle at Gettysburg. So 1913, these old soldiers, they came back, uh, some of them to swap some stories, to reconvene with old comrades. But what was interesting was both the northern troops and the southern troops came together, and nobody really knew how this was going to turn out. Well, in fact, uh, one night during the celebration, it lasted three days, three days of festivities. In the restaurant, there was, uh, well, one of the, the southerners kind of got crossways with one of the northerners, and the next thing you know, they were at each other's throats with forks, of all things, and they began to relive the old days and just fight it out between one another. But one writer says, you know, the climax, though, of the gathering, and the reason they all came was to reenact Pickett's Charge. And if you've seen this, and if you've been to Gettysburg as we have, and, and literally stood there on Cemetery Ridge and Seminary Ridge where the northern troops were upon the plateau and looking out underneath they, or below there was the valley, and Pickett's Charge, the southern troops, they came out of the woods, and they began to make their way, and here's what happened. It's 50 years removed. Instead of bayonets and guns and daggers and so forth, they were on canes. <laughs> you know, they were, they were hobbling. And some of the more agile guys came along, some of the older guys. And one last final rebel yell. They just let it out one last time. And they said this, the, the northern troops up on the ridge it brought back such memories that there was just a, a gasping of their breath because they remembered what it was like 50 years ago to see those men coming upon them. But then what happened next is really something for the ages. When the rebels yelled and when the northerners, when they, they got their composure, they came out of their barricade and they descended upon the southern troops and they just hugged one another. <laughs> they just cried. And they just wept, and they were just thankful to God for this reunion, that they were no longer enemies, but they were indeed brothers, and some of them literally blood brothers. There's a story in the Bible that captures the same kind of essence of that story I just shared with you. It's found in Genesis chapter 45, and it is the story. Uh, to me, it's the, the moment of truth where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and instead of retaliation and revenge, and an acrimonious and a bitter, acerbic spirit. There is this sense of forgiveness. There is this moment of grace and peace and joy. And really it is hard for the interpreter, it's hard for us to convey in mere words the scene, what happens here in Genesis chapter 45. But I want to read it to you, and I'm continuing my series of messages to you today. Joseph, a man of grace, a portrait of grace and forgiveness. And the title today is The Moment of Truth. And so let's read Genesis chapter 45. I'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 15, but I do invite you to have your Bibles open as we will go back and forth and we'll go back through the text and relive and reenact this tremendous scene. So Joseph, he could not restrain himself before all of those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. And so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. This moment of all moments that we've been building up to, this mighty crescendo, now it, it begins to unfold before our very eyes. And Joseph wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And then Joseph said to his brothers, and I might 
add parenthetically and just interpretively, he's going to speak to them for the first time in the Hebrew language. He has been speaking to them through an Egyptian interpreter, but for the first time, these 11 brothers will hear their brothers speak in their native tongue. And he says these words. The first thing he says is, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were, behold, is, is the Hebrew word. It's this graphic word. We translate it dismayed. It literally means to be terrified. To be terrified, the prime minister of Egypt is not only speaking their language of Hebrew, but lo and behold, it is, it is none other than their blood brother Joseph, whom they thought after they had sold into slavery, surely he had perished, but perish he has not. He is standing before them. He's speaking in the Hebrew language. He's asking about his father, and they are terrified. And so Joseph said to his brothers, payback is very difficult, and I'm going to decapitate every single solitary soul in this room because you betrayed me. Remember me? You sold me into slavery. Lop off your heads. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't go that way? You said, well, that, that's what I would do. I'm so glad you're not, I'm glad you're not Joseph. <laughs> you know, Joseph is a lot like Jesus. He forgives. He exchanges not retribution or this punitive sense of justice and judgment. No, he doesn't retaliate with harshness. He, he retaliates with, with grace. And Joseph said to his brothers, please, please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not, therefore, be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. This next sentence, it's just bewildering. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Bless you. God sent me to preserve you this very day. Mercy. We'll come back to that in a moment. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be a neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me. Have y'all heard that before? God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now, oh my, it was not you who sent me here, but God and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house. God has made me ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry up now and go to my father. His father is right before his mind, Jacob. He, he loves his father so much. He's already addressed the subject of his father once. Now he does it again. Now go. Go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. That's kind of an onomatopoeia. Goshen sounds luscious and fertile and beautiful, and it was. Come now to Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine." Verse 12 says, And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth. I wonder why he had to say that. I think the brothers are about passed out by now. I think they're just like, I can't believe it. It's me. It's Joseph, my mouth. 
that speaks unto you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell. Ah, uh, it's just so exquisite. Is it not? Is it beautiful? Joseph fell on his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And then this verse. And then Joseph, he kissed all of his brothers. Kissed them. And he wept over them. And after that, his brothers, they talked with him. It is really difficult to read this passage of Scripture and, and remain neutral from what you've read. For those of you that may just be joining us uh, early on in this journey of Joseph as we make our way toward the end of the series, I, I, I'd want to just summarize for you, you briefly just how they got to this point. Joseph was only 17 years of age. He was uh, his father's favorite son. They gave him a, a coat of, of many colors. And on your worship guide, I appreciate this graphic here, it, it kind of depicts that coat of many colors. And Joseph is wearing it one day, and he makes his way out to check on the ten brothers. Benjamin is young. Benjamin's at home. And when Joseph comes upon his brothers, his flesh and blood, 20-plus years ago, take him. Some of them wanted to kill him. They, they were just tired of him. They were, they, they were just jealous. The green-eyed monster of envy had overtaken their spirits, and, and they just wanted to do away with their blood brother. But uh, but Judah and Reuben and others step in and say, Let, let's, don't, let's don't kill him, but let's just sell him into slavery and we'll get some money out of him. And they did. They sold him for a few pieces of silver. The Midianite traders took him out of the pit and they deported him. They took him about 250 miles, a three-week journey, all the way to Egypt. And there in Egypt on the slave market, this young 17-year-old Hebrew boy from Canaan, nobody really gives him a chance to even make it, to, to live or to survive, but he survived. And lo and behold, he sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar is the chief executioner of Pharaoh. He is the chief bodyguard. I guess he's the secret service man for, for Pharaoh. And Potiphar employs Joseph in his home. And the Lord was with Joseph. And instead of him dying, instead of him being killed and murdered by the Egyptians, God promotes him to the place where... He actually comes to the point of Pharaoh's court, and he interprets this dream. He says, Pharaoh, there's coming a day where there's going to be seven years of great plenty and a harvest, and then there's going to be a day, an elongated day of seven years where there's going to be years of famine. And so here's what I humbly recommend that you do. <clears throat> Take somebody who is wise, put them over this plan that I am sharing with you, and, and save up the seven years of harvest and plenty for the seven years of famine and destitute. And so Pharaoh says, well, you look like a good candidate to me. I'm now hiring you. You're the prime minister of all of Egypt. You're at my right hand, and everybody is under your control except me. And so look what God has done. God has blessed Joseph and given him a place of preeminence and prominence and the strongest, arguably the strongest nation in the world at this time. And there's this Hebrew slave betrayed by his brothers incarcerated falsely by Potiphar, and then elevated to this place of prominence by none other than Pharaoh, and that's been 20 plus years. And then the famine comes, and here come the brothers from Canaan, and they make their appeal to the prime minister. They don't know who he is. They have no idea that the man to whom they are speaking is Joseph, their brother. 
Joseph, he subjects them through some battery of testing. He wants to see if they really have changed. Is their hearts now, has it changed um, toward Benjamin? Would, would they treat Benjamin the way they treated me? And so what he does is he keeps Simeon and he says, I want you guys to go back to your dad and bring to me that youngest child, that youngest son. And if you bring him back to me, then I know that you are true and that you are not spies. And sure enough, you know the story, they came. They appeared with Benjamin. Joseph blessed them, sent them on their way. And then Joseph did something really interesting. He put this silver cup in Benjamin's backpack, and he set him up. He set Benjamin up, but what he was really doing was setting up the brothers to see if they had really changed in their heart. And sure enough, when they came back to the royal palace and Joseph is there saying, why did you steal my cup? It was so amazing as we looked last week in chapter 44 where all the brothers, watch this, instead of going, man, we don't know who he is, man, he has lost his ever-loving mind, he is yours, take him, do what you, exactly what they did to Joseph. They didn't do that. In fact, Judah, he stands in between Joseph and the brothers and he goes, listen, take my life, make me your slave. And so now is when we get to our text, when Joseph, he is overcome with emotion that he just cannot stand it anymore. And the Bible tells us in verses 1 through 5, I read it just a moment ago, there's this great disclosure. For the first time in 17 plus years, he now, or 20 plus years, really since he was 17, he begins to speak to them in the Hebrew, the native tongue. And what you see here in verses 1 through 5, especially as he unveils himself, maybe he takes off this royal cloak, this, this coat, or maybe he removes some kind of emblem of, of royalty, and, and he, he says, guys, it's, it's me, it's, it's Joseph, I am, I am your brother, the one you sold into slavery, I, I am alive, and I am standing before you. And what you see here is not a powerful tyrant, a pompous, proud, royal dignitary who executes judgment and repays his brothers with evil, but what you see is a very spiritual, godly individual who gives grace and forgiveness and mercy. One writer puts it this way, and I, I, I just love the way he describes it. He says, let us try to describe the indescribable. No longer speaking through an interpreter, he announced to them in, his own lang in their own language, I am Joseph. It was like a lightning bolt. Words not only failed the brothers, they failed expositors today who try to explain this indescribable scene. Perhaps the most dramatic confrontation and reunion in all of literature. Listen to that. In all of literature, perhaps this is the most climactic scene, and here's why. Because in this writer believes that the nation of Israel was genuinely born at this moment. That the 12 tribes have become genuinely 12 tribes of Israel. And you have the inception, you have the genesis, you have the beginning of this nation of Israel through whom? Through whom not only would the Word of God come to us Gentiles, but also the living Word of God, Jesus Christ Himself, the royal Messiah, born through the lineage of these men, born through the lineage of Judah. And so here is the moment of all moments. They come together through whom God will bless the world with this book and God will bless the world with His person, the Son, Jesus Christ. There's a lot here in this disclosure. You know, I know God would have accomplished His purposes other ways if Joseph had not 
been obedient had Joseph sinned and retaliated, God would God could start over. I mean, God told Moses, He said, let's just do away with them and let me just start over with you. And, and so God's purposes would come to fruition, but Joseph gets to play a part in it. Are you with me? God's purposes will prevail. God's plan will not be thwarted by mere mortal human beings. Let me, let me just tell you some good news, folks. Some of us need some good news today. God will win. He will be victorious. His plans will not be thwarted. But, but here's the question. Will you get to participate in the winning? <laughs> will you get to be a part of God's kingdom and God's conquering power as it sweeps through this world as the kingdom of Jesus has ushered into this millennial kingdom that will come? Yes, it will happen with you, help me, or without you. But it's with Joseph, and I'm so glad it is. What a man. What a disclosure. Secondly is the demonstration. I, I want to share with you in verses 5 through 8, there are three things in particular that just leapt off the page to me as, as I'm interpreting this text and preparing this message to share with you. I want you to notice with me three things. God's sovereignty, number one. I tell you, God's sovereignty drips off of the page of Holy Scripture just like honey drips off of a honeycomb. It, it is deliciously sweet. It is enlightening. It is, did you notice three times, three times in verses 5 through 8, Joseph mentions God. He says in verse 5, for God. He says in verse 7, and God. And then he says in verse 8, but God. God, God, God. See, Joseph, he just walks with God. He loves God. He is a person who has experienced the grace, the restoration, the forgiveness, the mercy of God. And he accredits every good thing as coming from God. He even has the wherewithal church to say, you guys, you're basically innocent. You didn't send me here. God sent me here. God has elevated me. God has promoted me to this place so that I can bless you and I can protect you. I can provide for you. He has this eternal, sovereign, providential perspective. Isn't that good? I mean, some of you here today, you're struggling. You're struggling within your heart of hearts. You're struggling in your volition, your very will. You're struggling in your mind. And you will so desperately want to grab a hold of the game we call blame. And you want to blame people. You want to make people pay. You did this to me. And you, you don't have a sovereign God perspective. Because if you did, you would say, God allowed it. God's in control. I'm God's child. I'm God's daughter. I'm God's son. And God is going to take what you meant for evil, and God is going to bring it about for good. See, that's the eternal perspective that Joseph had. And I, I want to have that. And God, thank you. I'm beginning to develop that perspective that it is okay. Mere mortals can do what they may, but... God is the one who is orchestrating. He's, he's pulling the strings. He, he's working all things together for, for good. The second thing I want you to notice in this text is not only is there a demonstration of God's sovereignty, but once again, there's a demonstration of grace. Grace drips. It just oozes out of this text. 
He does not chide. He does not rebuke. He does not retaliate in this disclosure, but he demonstrates grace. Romans 5.20 says it like this, and I love this verse. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In verse 5, he's concerned (laughs) with how they feel. And I'm like, oh my word, this guy's too good to be true. I mean, there's a part of me that just wants to open up and let her rip. Just, Lord, give me just a moment. Let me just give them a piece of my mind. Lord, you know they deserve it, and Joseph doesn't do it. I'm like, do it. (laughs) Come on. He won't. He says, how are you guys doing? Go, Simeon's passed out over there. Y'all wake him up. I mean, he's he's just unconscious. Hey, come on, guys. It's okay. How are you doing? How's your dad? How's our dad? In verse 6, he switches into another grace mode when he says, there's still five years of famine, guys. Let's get it together. Five more years of famine, and I'm going to help you. (laughs) I'm going to help you. Verse 7, he tells them, God is using him to preserve them. Verse 8, he reveals how God has blessed him. He interprets these blessings as a means of grace. God's favor so that he could spare their lives. Man. You know, I, I was thinking of either last night or this morning, I, I was thinking about this, this text and the scripture, and I think it was last night late, and I just was reliving these moments. And um, you ever ask yourself, God, why, did, why do you reserve stories like this? Why, why, why through the years and through the ages... Has this canon of Scripture, why, why do you record stories like this? And the temptation for some of us would be a very cerebral, academic temptation. Well, God wants to illuminate our minds. He wants to teach us so that we can be uh, biblical scholars and God can, God can reveal these truths to us. And I, and I think that's, a, that's okay. But I think the greater answer to my question is so that we would read it, understand it, and live it. Be blessed by it. That if God in His grace and God in His mercy, God in His sovereignty can do that in Joseph's life, then God can do it in your life. He can. If you believe, if you trust. If I believe God, if I trust God, He can take the nightmare of my soul, the harsh, bitter words spoken against me, the rape that some of you experienced. The abandonment that some of you encounter. Where where was God, brother, when all that went down? Where was God, Vince? And and, and that's where some of you are, and you're just, you want to lash out. But here's what I want to say is this. God is still good. God still loves you. God still has a plan and a purpose. You just got to wait. And you just let God vindicate you. Let God justify you. Let God exonerate the record. Let God do what only God can do. You just do what only you can do, and that's trust Him. That's all I can do is trust Him. Trust in Him. Have faith in Him. Because if you abandon Him, where in the world are you going to go? What will you appeal to? So there is... Sovereignty, there's grace, and now there's forgiveness. We keep coming back to this word. 
Joseph simply cannot do what he is doing unless he is unequivocally, wholeheartedly forgiven these boys. Chuck Swindoll, he, he says, I don't know what's going on inside of your skin. I don't know the memories that are haunting you or the pain you live with because somebody did you wrong. But I do know humanity. I know it well enough to know that most of you at one time or another have been treated badly by somebody. And when that happens, your perspective becomes very cloudy. You remember the manipulation. You remember the torture. You remember the torturous trauma, the rejection. Evil was done to you, and he says it was meant to be evil. This is no time to deny it. The person deliberately hurts you, end of quote. And then I write out very humbly, what, what do you do then? What do you do now? You sold me as a slave. I mean, you, you tried to kill me. What, what do we do? You know, the WWJD? What would Jesus do? What would Joseph do? <laughs> a better question is, what, what did they do? They chose to forgive Jesus, hemorrhaging to death, being crucified. I mean, nails in his hands and in his feet. I mean, he has been bludgeoned to, to an inch of his life, and he has the wherewithal to say, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. God, they're just ignorant. Please forgive them. Joseph, in that moment, says, God, forgive them. Have mercy on them. And the only way that can happen is you have to, you have to forgive. You know, Clara Barton was the um, founder of the American Red Cross, and she was talking to a lady, and and this lady reminded her of a vicious deed committed against her. And Clara Barton just, you know, she was just talking and she was just acting like, she acted like she didn't remember it. And the lady kind of got a little perturbed about that. And she goes, um, excuse me, Clara, don't, don't you remember this? You, you were the recipient of the harm. You do remember this, don't you? She says, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. Distinctly remember forgetting that. I wish I had a fork right now. I'd grab it and I'd ask you a question. Forgiveness or fork? You sorry southerner. You sorry northerner. I'm going to kill you. You sorry rascal. Look what you did to me. How dare you do that to me? And God just whispers, grace, forgive, mercy, truth sovereignty. The last thing in our text is the deliverance, and I'm looking at verses 9 through 15, and verse, these verses describe how Joseph is just, oh mercy, he, he's delivering his family from hardship, and, and the deliverance, not just physical and spatial, geographical, it's not just that he's going to deliver them out of Canaan and place them in Goshen. Now Goshen, as I said earlier, was this fertile crescent of 900 mile, 900 square miles in the northeastern section of Egypt. The, I mean, it was like, you say, well, man, to get a piece of property like that, you really got to know somebody. They knew him. They knew, the, they knew Joseph. 
And Joseph will intercede on behalf of Pharaoh and say, these are my family, and I love them, and I want to provide for them, their, their families, their children, their livestock. And so, Pharaoh, if it's okay with you, let's just put them in Goshen. And I wonder if Pharaoh's like, Goshen? Man, that's, that's Maui. You know, that, that is prime property, man. That is, that's beautiful up there. And he doesn't even question. He says, that's what you want to do. Put them there. But his, his deliverance is not just physical or, or spatial. It's social, it's emotional, and preeminently it is spiritual. As he is delivering these guys, God is using him to set them, set them free. You know, it is amazing how much good one person can do when they are rightly related to God. In a few minutes, I'm going to get to share some more with our Connect Group leadership, and I'm, I'm going to share with you more about the cross and how the cross of Jesus is that beautiful picture of being vertically connected to God and being in right relationship with Him through His Son, through His death, His vicarious death, the, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on my behalf. He died for me so that all my sins and all my dastardly deeds and all those evil thoughts and all of those things that I have done and all those things that were done against me, they're gone. They're, they're forgiven. I'm forgiven, and I'm rightly related to God. And if that's the case, I'm now empowered to be horizontally connected with others. Do you see that? That's the beauty of the cross. I've got some practical things I want to share with you, and I want to close with these. Just three simple practical truths, and they're in your, uh, they're going to be on the pro presenter PowerPoint, whatever we call this good thing. But these practical truths are not in your synopsis, in your outline, but you may want to jot these down, okay? And I want to just go through these quickly, and we're going to have our invitation. Number one, forgive others. Joseph kissed Benjamin. And I get that part. You know why? Because Benjamin, he wasn't a part of the betrayal. He wasn't a part of the, the evil committed against Joseph. I can see Joseph going to Benjamin and hugging him and weeping over him. But I tell you, you're talking about another level. When he turns to those brothers, those ten, and he begins to hug them, and he begins to kiss them and show them affection, then I know for sure... Joseph has forgiven them. Number two, keep an eternal perspective. Don't panic. God is in control. Let me say it again. For God and God, but God. Someone said this last week, and I can't really remember. I think it was Stuart said this in our staff meeting, and I, I want to write, I wrote this down. Listen to this. You would do what God did... If you know what God knows, mercy, you would do what God did if you only knew what He knows. Can I submit to you the sovereignty of God on display today? Joseph, it's really going to be okay. I know you feel betrayed, and I know you feel hurt, and they meant to hurt you, but watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your mess. And I'm going to create a masterpiece. I'm going to take your greatest test and trial of your life, and it's going to become the pillar upon which you will build your testimony. And so, church, listen to me carefully. If God can do that to Joseph, 
And if God can make all of these things work out for good for him, then God can surely do it for you. And that's why this is in the book. I know time is the only thing that separates us from Joseph, but time is no big deal for God. God can make a way when there seems to be no way. And number three, let's get our hearts right with God. Let's get our hearts right with God. Some of you today just need a a (laughs) tune-up. You just need a minor adjustment. Some of you need an engine replacement. You know what I'm saying? You you need an overhaul. Your pistons are blown. I mean, the carburetor's shot. The transmission's gone. You need God to do a big deal in your heart. You you need surgery. You need a heart transplant. You need need God to say, okay, I'm taking that old heart out. I'm going to put you in a heart of flesh. You say, oh, I just wish he would do that. Well, let me tell you something, friend. He wants to do that more than you want it. Stay with me on this. When you really understand what God has done for you through Christ, you will forgive. You will extend grace. Do y'all remember what y'all were like before you became a Christian? My word. I, I do. And I remember, I remember what I'm like every day, and God still doesn't zap me. God doesn't say, you're an idiot. I'm done with you. Just get out of my sight. God doesn't do that to us. I mean, so, so when we really understand that, and we are vertically right with God, it absolutely impacts the way we relate to others. Here's here's the way Paul put it. He said, let all bitterness and wrath, let anger and clamor and evil speaking, let it be put away from you with all malice. But be, I like the old King James, be ye, be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you and me. You know, John Newton, we talked about him last week. He wrote the famous hymn of all hymns, Amazing Grace. He also wrote about 300 other hymns we don't know as well, but let me give you an excerpt from this one called Happy in Him. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus I no longer see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers, well, they've all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gray, to look gay. But when I am happy in Jesus, December is as pleasant as May. And when I'm happy in Jesus, I'm so grateful to God today that I can stand before you as your pastor and say, I'm really happy. I am happy in Jesus. I have found my worth and my value squarely in Him, and I am grateful to sojourn on this earth as His ambassador, as His servant, to go where He wants me to go, to do what He wants me to do. Fail, I do. Disappoint, I do. But I'm so grateful to God to be rightly related to Him, which gives me the strength and the ability to be rightly related with you and with others. So here's what I want us to do today as we, we finish this, this message at 11.58. What is the world coming to? 
11.58. Beat the Methodists for a change. Amen. We have our invitation, and I just, I just want this altar to be, you know, a sacred place where we feel like we can come and do business with God. We can pray. You will have pastors and, and counselors, biblical counselors, and people up here. If you just, you just need a safe place, you just want to come. Church, I, I don't understand this completely, but there is something very therapeutic and powerful about physically stepping out. You step out, you just feel this, this wave of divine energy just kind of bring, bringing you along. And, and it's like you take the first step, and then God just brings you. And you may not talk to anybody. You just may come here and just talk with God during the invitation, and we'll sing, and we'll pray for you. And some, you'll, you'll want to talk to some people. You'll want to be encouraged. But here's what I want you to think about. Have you been forgiven by God? And are you forgiving others for what they've done to you? For some, for the very first time in your life, you need to experience the forgiveness of God, really. You need to say, God, I'm sorry. I have blown it. You know it. My family knows it. My friends know it. My colleagues know it. I am sinful. I deserve to go to hell. But I want you to forgive me and have mercy on me. Let me tell you something, friend. At that moment... There will be a divine exchange. The Spirit of God will come into you. He will radically change you. But I promise you this, that will not happen unless you do this, unless you say, God, help me. Okay? You have to call out. The Holy Spirit's working. He is, he is churning. I mean, He is drawing you. He is breaking you. He is, he is bringing you to life, and He's bringing you to the Savior. What are you going to do? Say, God, help me, and I need your forgiveness. Do that. Oh, do that today. Others of us today, I mean, we may need the tune-up. We may need God just to tweak some things. We may need to let some people go, let them out of that cage that we're keeping them in because we've got to keep them there and just, you know, fuss at them and be mad at them. Just let them out of their cage. And when you let them out of their cage, you're letting yourself out of a cage. And there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's mercy and there's harmony, there's tranquility. There's that irenic spirit of joy that has been grieved. Now the Holy Spirit is, he is, um, he is filling you and He is empowering you. And so I, I want you to do that. Father, I'm, I'm praying now in Jesus' name that there would be heart transformations. At this noon hour here on this August 14th of 2016, God, may it be a moment of truth. May it be a time of forgiveness, a time of restoration, a time of mercy. God, I thank you so much that you do not give us what we deserve. We deserve your wrath, God, your punishment. But through faith in you and through just simple childlike trust, God, you spare us and you come within us and you, you live in us and you make all things work together for the good. And with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, let, let, let me say this to you. I really don't know what all you've experienced, and you don't know what I've experienced. But this much I do know, God is true to His Word. He is true, and if you will, trust Him. If you will, let it go. You said, I can't let it go. I, I can never forget that. I, 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 I relive it. Listen, friend. Listen, sir. Listen, ma'am. Trust Him. Trust God. Speak to some Christian counselor. Speak to some people. Let them help you. Let them encourage you. It, it is a journey. But let it begin today. Would you let it begin today? Father, I'm praying in the name above every name, Jesus.
and through the power of the third person of the Godhead, through the Holy Spirit. May this altar, Lord, be a place, a table of grace, a cornucopia, Lord, of, of Lord, of just overflowing, of rejoicing and peace and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for Joseph. Thank you for his life, God. It's challenging to us. But thank you preeminently that he points us to you, Jesus. And so now, Lord, as we enter into a time of invitation, we're asking you, God, to do surgery on us, Lord. Work on us, God. Change us, oh God. Cause us to rise up, Lord, and be the people, God, that you're calling us to be. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Now let's sing to the Lord. Um, pastors, are y'all around? God bless y'all. Thank y'all for being here. Um, I feel like I know. Jennifer Wakefield, are you here today? Are you in the house? Is she here? Jennifer, I want you to come up to the front as well. She's on our staff. She's one of our uh, female staff. I want her to come. And, and deacons, if y'all could just kind of be around. If somebody you see somebody needs prayer and encouragement, just come on alongside them and do just that. So let's sing, Brother Terry, as we go. Here we go.